Welcome into another edition of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo along with Bob Wankel. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about today, Bob. The, this Phillies team, boy, oh boy, they just make it more and more difficult every week for us because it's just, it just, just when you think it can't get any worse, Bob, it does. It gets worse again be negative about the <laughs> Phillies right it's it's uh, our weekly spot here uh, 610 ESPN crossed up and uh, another another difficult week since we last talked and uh, we had spoken before the show about really the trajectory that this has been on for the Phillies <laughs> <laughs> difficult yes. difficult You're, that, it just seems like too nice of a word yeah, for what difficult. we experienced this brutal past week. catastrophically <laughs> uh, you know it's just it's been rough uh, no doubt about it last night Phillies Lose again in a tough game, uh, 9-6 final. Uh, just just a miserable game that looked a lot like a, a many other games recently that this team has played. Uh, just complete inability to fire on not all cylinders, but really any cylinder. Just one. Yeah, just, just, just give, me one. One. Just give me one cylinder. Give me a good start. Give me a quality bullpen performance. Give me some good managerial decisions. Give me the ability to hit in the clutch. I mean, it, again, it was all on display, all the Phillies' faults. Um, and, you know... It, you and I had spoken about it. It, it kind of starts to drain you a little bit. Those of you that listen to the podcast, not to say that we were out ahead of this or that we had it first by any means, because I think a lot of observers uh, observers of this team understand the, the, this team's flaws, but it just starts to drain you out. I mean, we're going to talk about Gabe Kapler tonight, and we're going to talk about their inability to hit and clutch you know, spots and we're going to do what we always do. It's just a different sample of games to talk about. So we're going to... Well, there's one other little little addition to this. Okay. It was fresh. on display on national television for the entire world to see on ESPN. And of all people, of all people, Alex Rodriguez decides to take Gabe to task for his bad managerial decisions. And I'm going to say right now, Bob, because we're gonna we're gonna talk about this, and and hopefully we'll get some calls in as well. Uh, I'm I'm sure there are fans out there who who are chomping at the bit to talk about the Phillies at eight 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 seven two eight nine nine four one to get on the program. I, I'm I'm at my wits end, and you know I know that I've always been the guy who's been a little bit more on the negative side of Gabe, and you've been a little bit more on the positive side of Gabe. I don't know where you're still at. You maybe you're still on that side, and maybe you're gonna you're gonna give us some coach talk and and let us know how it is for him and all the all the wonderful excuses we can come up with. But I am drifting to the point I think of no return, and not just with the man. I mean, I have a I have a problem throughout the entire organization. I I think that there need to be wholesale changes in management. Period. I have a feeling I'm gonna have to rein you in tonight. A but little tonight, bit. I think you might. <laughs> you may have to rein me in because I'm fed up. I'm absolutely fed up. When you embarrass yourself like that on national TV, and we can get into the specifics of it. We have all the, the statistics and all the details, and we, we know why the decision was made to do what Gabe did with the pitching last night and, and how the Phillies lost the game. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you have a guy say it seconds beforehand, like, here's what should be happening, bud. And you don't do it, and then it and then it goes awry. It, it absolutely unravels <laughs> right before your eyes. It, you know what's funny? I think this is the first time, maybe ever, that the people in the city of Philadelphia are saying, "A-Rod, you nailed it. That's, That's our right. guy, Alex Rodriguez, <laughs> big man of the people in Philly." Um, yeah, you know what? I, I agree with you in that specific scenario. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's kind of backpedal a little bit and set up this this last game here uh, that we watched last night. I will tell you this. 
Gabe Kapler is going to probably be the bulk of what we focus on, and the, the decisions that he made late in the game obviously are, warrant discussion. Let's go back to the starting pitcher, though, last night, and Jake Arrieta, who, to his credit, since he came out at the, his final start right uh, before the All-Star break against the Mets, he said, listen, I'm, I'm pitching with some issues. It comes out he has bone spurs in the elbow. Um, since the All-Star break, he had been competitive. He's only given you about four or five innings a start, but the ERA sitting in the low threes. He had done a respectable job. Last night he goes out, though, three innings pitch, five earned runs. He only retires eight of the 16 batters he faced. Eight of the 16 batters he faced. He was terrible. And I think it's getting to the point now where we have to make a decision, or the Phillies have to make a decision, I should say, on what is going to happen with Jake Arrieta. Because at some point, you know, we're talking about a six-start sample now. He's averaging less than five innings per start. So you cannot, with this bullpen, the way it's constructed, especially if a guy like Vince Velasquez is going to give you five innings every time out as well, you can't run these guys out back-to-back, no less. The way the Phillies have the rotation structured right now, you have Vince Velasquez and Jake Arrieta going back-to-back. That's extraordinarily taxing on your bullpen. Um, it, it does not align properly. And it, he sounded, I would say, uh, pretty, I don't know, pessimistic after the start last night. Yeah, as he should. I mean, to be in all fairness to Jake Arrieta, like I think the only reason that he decided to even give you those those six starts or whatever since the All Star break is because he realizes just how bad the situation has been for the pitching staff for the Phillies this year, and he's got to sit there and say, you know what. I'll pitch through this as best I can because there's no other option. There's no other alternative, and we're in the middle of a, of a playoff race. We want to try and win. We want to try and get in the postseason. I'll suck it up. But, I mean, he should have had this surgery then. He probably should have. And, and to just kind of run through the numbers here, his last six games, 20, uh, 27 and two-thirds innings pitch, 14 earned runs, ERA in the mid-fours. It's not, not horrible. But the whip, 1.518. And that's just not going to get it done. Obviously, blows the 5-2 lead last night, and then the Phillies have to get five innings out of the bullpen. Which uh, is never minimum. a good thing. And that's that's usually not going to go well for multiple reasons. One, they don't have a ton of talent out there. And two, which you'll get to in a minute, you don't really like how that talent that they do have is managed. So I don't think it's, it's in the best interest of the 2019 Philadelphia Phillies to continue to run him out there. Uh, I don't think it's in his best interest, and I don't think it's in the best interest of the team long term. I mean, you're going to have to pay him $20 million next season. That opt-out, the player opt-out that he has, yeah, he's, it's, he's cashing he's, in on he's that cashing baby. In. He's, he is not going to opt out of this contract. No, he's so, staying under contract. That being said, season. I think that you have to kind of pull the plug on this experiment. Yes, absolutely have to pull the plug. I mean, I think Eikhoff had his final uh, rehab or a third rehab starting. Might have one more. If not, maybe he's ready to come up and could just take the spot in the rotation. It doesn't matter at this point. They're not making the playoffs. Yeah, and he might. Uh, Gabe Kapler, before the team went out west, had said that they were stretching him out to be a starter. Yeah. So he will not come back in a, re- in a relief role. Um, so that's a possibility. Obviously, you have Nick Pavetta, but I think the team is kind of dedicated to, to yep. using him as a high-leverage reliever, if you want to call him that. And then Zach Eflin, he, he really has just struggled over the last six weeks yeah. in, in any way that you use him. So. A- absolutely. So I think I think that's what's going what's gonna to happen. By the way um, – just breaking news. Uh, we talked about it off air beforehand, but it just actually came down. Uh, Philly signed Nick Hundley to a minor league deal, catcher, veteran catcher. Uh, no, this does not mean Andrew Knapp's going to be DFA'd, I don't think. Um, I believe, and I think you'll agree with me, uh, Bob, that you're going to see Nick Hundley you know, get some swings in and you know, AAA, and then come September 1, 
he's called up and you now carry three catchers on the roster for the final month of the season. Yeah, there are a few different things that will go into that. Uh, Andrew Knapp, he's like the he, I feel like he's a guy that the, the fans focus on and they, they look at him and say like he 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 can't hit. He's terrible. Backup catcher is the least of this team's concerns right now. Uh, obviously, he is not a viable pinch hit threat. Uh, he's hitting what 191 this season. Andrew Knapp's not a guy that, that I want up in any meaningful situation. That, but, but I will say this. Last year, they used three different catchers. They were using Alfaro, um, Wilson Ramos, and then Knapp. So this is, I think, kind of what they want to do when the rosters expand. So, like you said, a couple weeks in the minors, I think you'll see Hundley up at that point, and they'll still keep all three catchers. And, and Knapp's also very, very popular in the clubhouse, something that they, meet, they need to probably take into consideration at this point. Yeah. Uh, the Mike Alfranco move, which we touched on at the end of the show last week, was not a very popular move in that clubhouse. And I think that there were some some players in that locker room that, that didn't really take that news very well. So uh, there may be a, a little bit more of a human element consideration to this as well with Andrew Knapp. Bob, we got a call. Okay. Let's go to Rob from Glenside. Rob, you're on 610 ESPN Radio. Hey, what's up, guys? What's up, Rob? How, How are you? you? Doing? doing good. Good, good. All right. Uh, Andy, I'm, Anthony, I'm going to uh, jump on the bandwagon with you tonight. I think the Phillies are absolutely out of their mind by trotting out that manager night after night. I think uh, what we saw last night with him bringing Arietta out, I mean, for Christ's sake, the, uh, the Giants pitcher that got that base hit was laughing all the way to first base. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Will Smith, his first major league at bat. That's yeah. right. Preach, Robert. Preach for me. Pre- I mean, seriously, the guy hadn't had it at bat in 12 years, and he got a, got a hit and laughed all the way to first base, and then Kaplan, Kaplan still stayed with him. Yeah, well, you know, out of control. Yeah, at that point, I, I, at that point, the damage was already done. I, I don't think it makes a difference once you're giving up the, the runs. It doesn't make a difference if you're throwing, I'm throwing, Nick Pavetta's throwing. It doesn't make a difference at that point. The game's over, right after the hit happens. But the fact of the matter, and we're going to get to it, Rob. We're going to talk about it uh, about why it even got to Will Smith having an opportunity to hit because it it should have been over before then. It absolutely should have been over before then, and Gabe blew it. And we're going to get to that in, in just a second. But uh, so you have no confidence that even though they're only two games out of a playoff spot right now, you have no confidence it, that they're going to they're, they're going to turn it around and, and get into the playoffs. No, it's fool's gold. I mean, they were 13 games up over 500 before the All Star break. They're absolutely in a downward spiral right now. I mean, you look at a team like the Mets and the, the amount of wins they were able to string together. You know, you look at the competition in the NL East. These guys are so far behind in terms of talent and attitude. I mean, you know, you – I just look at a, a team that's like dead man walking right now. These guys have no life, no enthusiasm, no hustle. And you got to put some of that on the coach. I would put a lot of that on the coach. I mean, you know, his job's to motivate these guys and get them ready to play every day. And when he comes out with this – you know, lacks a days ago attitude, like, that's okay, guys, we'll get them tomorrow. You know, it, it carries forward, and, uh, you know, it's, it's infectious. Let me ask you a question, and this is something that we hear a lot about the, the lackadaisical attitude. What do you want to see, as a fan, what do you want to see from the manager in this spot? Because this is something I always like to talk to people about. Do you want him to come out and, and say, you know, hey, Nick Pavetta, we went to him in a big spot last night, and he completely let me down, he let this team down? Like, do you want him to admonish players publicly? Like, how do you... What do you want to see from your manager after a game like that? So, I mean, I'm, I'm 46 years old, and I've seen a lot of baseball in the town, you know, in this town. You've got two extremes. You've got guys like Larry Boa that are just all fire and all, you know, piss and vinegar, and these guys go out there and just light the world up. I mean, that's not the answer because players don't want to play for you. But, you know, you've got a guy like this who's trying hard to be a player's coach, 
And honestly, he's the same age as these guys. So in order to command respect, either you have to know what you're doing and make the right decisions, or you've got to put the fear of God into some of these guys. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think it goes farther than just one pitcher in one situation on one Sunday night. You know, he's been tinkering around with the lineup. You know, you've got guys that are, you know, swinging for the fences instead of playing small ball and trying to get singles and doubles. It's it, it's it's a complete philosophy around he, how he game plans for these games and who he puts in key positions. Thanks a lot for the call, Rob. Really appreciate it. You know, he he says some really good stuff there, Bob. Yeah, I totally agree. I I mean, it, it does go. It's it's more. You know, we sit here and we can isolate these individual situations that a manager has, and it's great to talk about them. I love you know breaking down a manager's decisions just because I like say, I like to say what would I have done in that situation? Would I have done the same thing? Would I have done it differently? Et cetera, et cetera. But he has a real good point in the sense that maybe Gabe went too far to try and be the nice guy, good guy, you know, teammate guy who's who's not doesn't have the the you know overwhelming authority or doesn't have a perceived overwhelming authority and that you need to have to be able to play that a little bit a little bit more the other way. Yeah, uh, Paul Hagan, I believe it was, wrote a pretty interesting column in the Philly Voice today. Mm-hmm. And he he wrote and basically it said, "Don't get so caught up in what Gabe Kapler says publicly." Um, when you have the press conferences that are televised by NBC Sports Philly, it, we tend to get hung up on the fact that he doesn't come out and, and throw a fit or publicly bash players or you know offer any really uh, overt criticism of what's unfolding in front of him right now. At the same time, I understand the fans' frustration. I, I think that they, I think he's been a little bit more forthcoming this season than he was a year ago. Like last season, it was downright comical. <laughs> and he's had his moments this year. But for the most part, I think he's tried to understand what the fan base is looking for to an extent. But at the same time, I'm totally on the other end of it. I, I don't want my manager. I don't want the coach to come out and publicly rip guys. I don't want to – and I don't know that the fear so, of God factor works. Like, Can you give me an example in recent history? Forget, forget 20, 30 years ago, but who's the coach right now that's – that's doing this? Nobody. And, and you're right. And, and I don't think it needs to go that far. It really doesn't need to go that far. But I do think that there needs to be some level of uh, of account- public accountability. I mean, it doesn't have to be, oh, so-and-so sucked tonight and he needs to be 100% better next time out or else. It doesn't need to go that far. But if you sit there and, and say that a guy – and we're going to talk about Reese Hoskins and, and his struggles of late – you know, but if you come out and say something along the lines of, hey, you know, Reese isn't taking the best approach at the plate in the last 10 games or so, you know, it'd be nice if he you know, get, get, him, uh, get him going again soon. You say certain things in a certain way, and the players get it. They know that you're, that you're not happy with them, and you say it publicly. I'll give you an example of something. This is a different sport, but I'll give you an example of, of how it worked. In hockey, this year, the Dallas Stars owner came out and criticized his two best players – who weren't particularly playing bad, but criticized his two best players and said, you know, these two guys are two best players and are not playing well enough for us to win. And then all of a sudden the team started playing better hockey. They made a run into the playoffs. They got into the second round. A lot of people thought they were going to miss the playoffs entirely, but it kind of jump-started the team because it's almost like, how dare you blame our teammates? And it's almost like it's a rallying cry in some instances. That doesn't mean that that's the, the length that you have to go to. But if, if there is some kind of public accountability, people will respond to it. If you don't have anything and, you're, and you can stink in anonymity in the coach's eyes, then you can continue to stink in anonymity. 
and that's what I wonder. You use the word accountability, and, and the question that I ask is, what does accountability look like? I go back to what they did with runners in scoring position over the seven-game trip, and even dating back to the White Sox series, a 10-game sample, right? And you're talking 14 of 62 with runners in scoring position. They hit 226 on that seven-game West Coast road trip with runners in scoring position. You go back to the White Sox series, include that, 19 of 88. They hit 216. So if Reese Hoskins comes up with the bases loaded and bears down and puts his bat on the ball and they score a couple runs here and there, you know, or they just get even a handful more hits in, in a couple of these situations and they put together two or three more wins, are we really hung up on accountability? I mean, like, how does accountability translate to those you have to bear down, lock in, and get it done type of moments? And I just, baseball is a weird game for me. A, a guy goes into the batter's box. Is he thinking, you know, Gabe, Gabe's a pushover. The culture that he's created in this, this locker room is, eh, you know, whatever. You, you say stinking anonymity. Okay, fine. But when it's 2-2 and there's a low and away slider and someone swings and misses at it, do those things really translate once the guy gets into the batter's box? And and I'm not telling you that it, it doesn't. I don't know the answer to that. I guess I'm asking more of a rhetorical question. Right. But I have a hard time when people say, well, it's, it's this culture that he's created that's led to this type of lackadaisical play. Get a couple more hits in big spot. Yeah. It doesn't seem so lackadaisical, does it? I don't have a necessarily a problem with the culture he's created. I, as a matter of fact, I mean, I get, I get the sense when you listen to the guys talk about it, I get the sense that they kind of like the culture that he's created in the locker room. That the, I don't think that they, I don't think that there's a real negative. Like we talked about it last year at the beginning when he first was a manager. That there might have been a couple of veterans who didn't particularly like his approach, et cetera, et cetera. But I think he's kind of grown on the players as far as that's concerned. And, and you know, and that's just not from you know talking to you, but I, I mean, you listen to the players talk about it, and whatever. So I, I don't really necessarily have a problem with the culture he's created. But what I'm telling you is that. By being so overprotective of your players, you don't win. And I'll give you another example from another sport. How's Andy Reid done as a coach? Has he ever I, won the big game? No, but he's been tremendously <laughs> successful, and he's a slam-dunk <laughs> Hall of Fame coach. Is he really, yeah. though? Yes. You think he's a Hall of Fame coach? Yes, he is. I don't know how you're getting to the Hall of Fame close. without winning a Super Bowl. I don't ah, know how you do. On. But the point is, is that 20 years. But he, he's talking about a guy who always protected his players. Always protected him. Never had anything negative to say. And while he's – look, I think Andy Reid's a good coach. I really do. Uh, but I think that Andy Reid never makes it to that next step because there is a slight lack of accountability on his teams. So you're telling me that Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs lost the AFC title game last season to the New England Patriots because no. of a lack of accountability. No, I'm not saying okay. that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it's just – how can you coach – for 18 years, 19 years, and never really get it. Never get. To, I don't think he's the only one. There have been other guys who've had the same, the same thing. Um, uh, what was his name? The the, the spectacled coach, coach Kansas City, Cleveland, Marty uh, Schottenheimer. Schottenheimer. Yes, yeah, yeah he, same same yeah. way. It was the same kind of coach, right? Always seemed to be a good team. Never could win anything. Again, was well liked by his team. His players like the players loved playing for him. Same thing. Players love playing for Andy Reid. Oh, he's a great guy. Of course he is. When he's never going to say anything negative about you publicly, and so that's what I'm trying to say. It's you can you can get to a point where you are overprotective, and I think that 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 some somehow we've gotten to that point with Gabe Kapler with this Philadelphia Phillies team. Anyway, 
we'll talk about Gabe last time. We hadn't, you know, we, we hadn't had, a, had an opportunity to actually dive into the specifics of what happened with Gabe and A-Rod uh, on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN last night. We'll dive into that right after the break. If you want to join the program, talk about the Phillies with uh, Bob and I, please do. 888-728-9941. You're listening to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today, or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. Introducing the YMCA. What, you already know the Y? Or so you think. Sure, you know the Y for a swim, a workout, even a game of hoops. But did you know we're more than that? We're a cause. When you take your jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Take a cardio class while kids are in an after-school enrichment program. Practice your downward-facing dog as a teen practices her leadership skills. That's the Y. We work with people no matter their age, income, or background and give them the opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive, all with one simple goal in mind, to strengthen our community. And we've got so much more that does just that. So while you might think of the why as that place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. Introducing the why. We're so much more than a place. We're a cause. Visit ymca.net slash more. Crossed up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. Bob Wankel, Anthony Sanfilippo, and uh, Bob, we're, we're, it's still it's still grating on me. And it happened, what, 10 hours ago, 9 hours ago, 8 hours ago, whatever it was. That whole situation, sitting there watching the Phillies game and listening to Alex Rodriguez basically predict the mistake happening for the Phillies it happening, and then him's basically saying, see, I told you so. <laughs> so for context, for those of you that have not listened to our podcast or have followed us at CrossingBroad.com, I fancy myself to uh, be a Gabe Kapler guy, and I, I think I've been generally pretty uh, forgiving of some of his mistakes. That leads us to, to last night's game, and you dug up the numbers for a story that you did earlier, and I'll let you get to that in a second. I think that Gabe at times has been guilty of maybe having a quick hook with some of his relievers. When you consider how good Jose Alvarez has been in really since the end of June, I believe he had been on a 14-inning uh, scoreless streak since uh, June 28th. Mm -hmm. He gets the, uh, the leadoff man reaches. He comes back and gets the next two outs. And you just, to me, you say, let him finish the inning. You know, just let him finish this inning. And instead, Gabe 
decides to play matchup, and he kind of gets himself into some trouble from there. So if you want to walk us through how what specifically drew your ire in this so and i and it's funny because i'm sitting there watching the game and i'm kind of thinking the same thing that a rod then says publicly and i was kind of surprised by it because i'm sitting there watching the at bat and then what he's you know so you got kevin pilar's up all right runner on first one one count and he and he spikes a curveball which i thought real muto should have blocked it was one of the, you know real muto sometimes gets into that one-legged stance behind the plate and and you know he's th- you know he's quick to get over, but he doesn't actually move his body on this one. Just tries to backhand it, gets past him, so the runner moves up to second base. And, and the first thing that, that A Rod does is he says, "Yeah, you know that's a mental error. Real Muto's a really good defensive catcher, but that's a mental error. You can't let that pitch get past you." And he's right because in that case, it wasn't that wild of a pitch. If he just got down onto his knees and put his chest out in front, he probably knocks the ball down. Okay, fine. So now you got the open base at at, at first, and so I'm thinking, okay, it's a two one count. All right. If if this next pitch is is spit on and it becomes three one, you got to put him on, because the next batter up is Brandon Crawford, who's been terrible all year, really, but especially of late, really not been good. And so the next pitch is a ball, and then A Rod comes out and he says, Gabe Kapler has a choice. You you walk Kevin Pillar here in a high leverage situation, and, you know, in a, in a high leverage pitch because it's three one. You got to come basically come with a fastball or else, right? Or you pitch to Crawford, who's struggling. Then there's like a, a second of silence. Pavetta throws a fastball over the plate. Pilar drives it to Triple's alley, and the Giants take the lead. Then, of course, Crawford gets walked intentionally so that they could face the pitcher, Will Smith, who had never batted before. He gets a hit, which drives everybody, makes everybody crazy. And then, of course, you know, it, it's, all, it's all over and, and from there. And for a team that looks at numbers so closely, it's it's kind of baffling right so Kevin Pillar has been really good in the month of August 379 in August a 1.124 OPS hitting 300 against righties in the month of August as well it's like 20 some plate appearances right okay so again small sample we understand all that but then conversely uh, conversely you have Crawford right and Crawford was hitting 156 with a 393 OPS in the month of August. Yeah, I took it back even further. I mean, I went back into the last week of July. He's eight for his last 56, which is 143. So who do you want to throw to with the game on the line? Brandon Crawford. There's no question it's Brandon Crawford, especially once it's 3-1. I get, all right, when you start the at-bat, the runner's on first. You're not walking the guy at that point. And then even after the wild pitch, it's still only 2-1 count. Okay, fine. I'm okay with throwing a pitch there, but once it becomes 3-1, you cannot put a ball over the plate to a guy who is that hot. It makes no sense. Not to mention, Bob, which I did not put in my story, and I wish I did, uh, because I looked it up after the fact, uh, actually right before we uh, came on the air here. Um, Nick Pavetta, once this year, facing batters with a 3-1 count, Batters are hitting 400 against him on a 3-1 pitch. 700 on-base percentage, 1,700 OPS because 1,000 slugging. So, yes, there's going to be walks. You know, expect the on-base percentage. That's video game stuff right, right You there. expect the on-base <laughs> percentage to be elevated. But the batting average and the OP, the slugging at 1,000, I mean, that's unreal. You can't put him in that, in that spot, start over with the next guy who's not hitting. It doesn't make any sense in any capacity. But you dug up the numbers that showed why they went this way. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I believe that Crawford was two for six uh, off of Nick Pavetta entering that at 333 batting yeah. average. Uh, you're talking about six at bats. And then against Kevin Pillar, uh, he was one for seven entering that at bat. So I think that they chose to attack Pillar specifically based on a handful of at bats uh, and 
that were based on past performance. Yes. Uh, and it's a, it's a strange way to play that situation, I thought. Yeah, well, so, I, you know, I, the thing I said on Twitter is uh, you got to manage based on the situation, not based on the simulation, which I think is, you know, the computer is telling you that, that's, that one matchup is better than the other. But at some point, you know, you, you got to sit there and say, you know, why is this – why do you rely on that? Why is that a better – Solution, especially after the after I heard Gabe, I'm, th- I'm thinking, all right, maybe Gabe will say, Pavetta, you know, would like to have that pitch back. He maybe put it in the wrong spot. That, but then you watch the video; they definitely, Real Muto definitely calls a fastball, and where his glove is set up, Pavetta is hitting it. I mean, yeah. he's not missing his spot. It's right where they wanted it. And then Gabe's quote after the game: Pilar has chased quite a bit recently. He's chased up and out of the zone. And below the zone. That, but that, but that pitch was up. But then he later on goes and says, "We were going to set up Pavetta for fastballs up and out and hammers curveballs down." So the pitch was a fastball up. Now it wasn't out of the zone, but it was certainly up. And Pilar drives it to the right center field gap. This was the plan, and it's you can't have that happen. It's terrible. I know that's what drives you crazy. What drives me crazy is something that has not been talked about today. It's the lineup. Here you are, and I, and I know that this is a this is probably in the grand scheme of things not going to be the game that breaks the Phillies' backs. I think that there may have been some artificial significance to this game because it was nationally televised. Yeah, because the difference between a two and five and three and four road trip is fairly sizable, I'd say, in the grand scheme of things. But Sean Rodriguez hitting sixth in a nationally televised need to have game. Sean Rodriguez, you want to talk about what guys have done lately? Entering last night's game, one for 10 with five strikeouts, no extra base hits in the month of August. So let's go to him with our team completely unable to hit in big spots right now. You have to optimize your lineup. And you know how you optimize your lineup? By playing the best guy. And the best guy was the player that came into the game in the third inning in Corey Dickerson. I don't care that they're facing a, a righty or a lefty to start the game. I, it doesn't matter. You got to play the best eight guys positionally that's how it's got to be. You have to stay consistent down the stretch. It's not working. It hasn't worked the last 10 games. You have to do something different. And how about just put your best players on the field? That would be where I would start. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And it's I can almost give him a pass on that if it was after September 1 and you had a bigger bench and you had a, you know, a lot more guys and you want to play a little bit of matchup. All right, fine. Because you know the other pitcher's probably not going to throw a lot of innings. He's a young guy. Right, and I'm okay with that. If you want to go one at bat, whatever, okay. I I don't. I would have still started Dickerson, but if it's after September 1st and you tell me, hey, that's the plan, we're just going to go for one at bat, and then Dickerson's going to come. Okay, I'm not. I'm not as opposed to it. I still think it's wrong, but not as opposed to it. But in this situation, again, you only have so many bullets in the in the chamber. You can't. And if you like him that much against left-handed pitching, then save him for a higher leverage situation like in the 6th, 7th, 8th inning, then a 1st or 2nd inning at bat like he had last he night. Drew a and, walk oh, by the way, he struck out. He drew a walk against Will Smith the other night. It was like the best thing he's done in, in a month. <laughs> I swear to you, he had a decent at bat. He took a lot. He fouled a couple pitches off. Sat there and said, oh, there's Sean Rodriguez against a lefty. Okay, fine. But whatever. I mean, that doesn't mean you have to do it early and then you leave yourself with nothing at the end of the game. At the end of the game, you're left with Roman Quinn for the second game in a row trying to beat out a bun. <laughs> and I'm left with trying to defend a manager based on uh, an offense that, again, 10 hits, 11 walks last night. I mean, when you actually go back and you look at the box score and you see 10 hits, 11 walks, right? 
and then you see six runs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's laughable. And it's not just the 15 men that they left on base last night. How about this? Corey Seidman, NBC Sports Philly, does a great job, digs up a lot of stats. Let's talk about the Phillies' offense real quick since the All-Star break. 26th in runs scored, 27th in batting average, 26th in slugging percentage, 25th in OPS, 26th in extra base hits. Those numbers are unthinkable, especially when you consider what this lineup was supposed to be when you go back to spring training, how they hit the first month of the season, and you look at how they performed since the break. It's unbelievable. And I keep going back to, yes, we can talk about A-Rod and Gabe Kapler in the eighth inning. We can talk about Sean Rodriguez in the six hole. I didn't like any of that. I'm not going to defend him for that stuff. But at the end of the day, it does fall on the players. It falls on your developmental staff. It falls on organizational philosophy. And, and it almost sounds like a broken record. Everybody in the city's talking about these things up and down. But there's something to it. There's merit on this. You, This is not a fluke that they have performed this poorly since the All-Star break. It is an indictment of what these guys are doing up and down from the top of this organization all the way down. And I just don't think there's any other way you can see it at this point. No, you're not wrong, and I I agree. But I think that lineup issue, the the fact that they're not hitting, not the lineup specifically, but the the fact that the the offense is not hitting is, is, is beyond Gabe. That's not a manager problem. That If we want to talk about that, I look at it and say that has to go to the people who are putting this team together. That has to go to the people who are the philosophy that they have on how you should hit as a member of the Phillies, okay? Because we're going to dive into, I know we're going to get into it, some statistics that kind of show you some guys who are really, they have are extreme when it comes to the launch angle, which is the Phillies' philosophy. And again, I, I understand why it's part of the game, but there's a league average, and then there's what the Phillies are doing. Because the Phillies are going, they are taking the analytic approach and just going so far to the extreme with it that it's costing them. It is costing them. And, and it blows my mind that they decide to stick with this level of ext- uh, uh, of extreme nonsense because so, that's what it's become. I think that Reese Hoskins is an interesting case study. Uh, most people that watch this team on a regular basis would agree that Reese Hoskins is a good player. Mm. So let's start this entire exercise by saying that he is a quality hitter. In fact, by a lot of metrics, he's their most productive hitter. He certainly leads the National League in walks, which I know some people don't really want to hear about, but he works pitchers. He's still the OPS is where you'd want it to be at the end of the day, maybe a little bit higher, but still high eights, productive season for Reese Hoskins. I look at where he was at in 2017, though, and you talk about an 18.4-degree launch angle. Last season, it jumps to 22.4. That's a significant jump in one season. Yeah. This year, it's all the way up to 24.9. Major League average is 11.1. Yes. And hit for, you know, each swing, each hitter swing is unique. It's an individualized experience. What works for certain guys isn't going to work with for others. I think you know, we understand that. But why take something that is working and go to such an extreme with it? That would be my question. And I don't think that a player just does that on his own. He does that with feedback from the organization, from this analytics department, from the hitting coach, from the manager, and then it's something that he himself has to buy into as well. And what you're seeing here is that he's producing a a little bit less uh, exit velocity this season. You see these streaks that he goes through, including a 2-for-24 road trip in which he failed to drive in a run 
I mean, I know the Phillies went two and five on this road trip, and we can and yell and scream all we want about Gabe Kapler and the starting rotation. But when a guy in the heart of your order goes two for twenty four with no runs batted in, you're not going to win many games. No. Um, and, and they have to find a way. I mean, there, since baseball's been invented, there's been streaky hitters. I get that, and, I, and Reese Hoskins, that, that may just be in his DNA, but they have to find a way to mitigate this a little bit. I agree, and I'm going to give you a little quick homework assignment. It's not even homework, because I want to talk about it on this program. So if we have, we have to wait till after the break to talk about it, that's fine. But I want you to look up Carlos Santana. The same numbers. No, no, see, and I, I, you're, I know you laugh because you're a Carlos Santana lover, right? I know how much you loved him last year, right? <laughs> But, no, I, I'm asking you this because I want to know if anything changed launch angle-wise with him back decreasing from his time with Philadelphia to the time of Cleveland. Do you know this? Are you setting no, me up? No, I don't know. Okay. I don't know this. This is, <laughs> this is a this genuine question. This is okay. a genuine question that I literally just came up with as you were talking about it because I'm of the belief that, like what you just said, that this is not – something that these players are individually doing, that this is something that is being pushed on them by the organization. And I think, because I look at players, I look at Cesar Hernandez, and I think it, I think they changed his swing, and they changed his approach at the plate. And his on-base percentage has plummeted in the last two years. Prior to uh, his uh, off-the-field troubles, I think Odubel Herrera had a similar situation, where he was very productive, and then all of a sudden the swing changed, and he was not nearly as productive again. So I think that that happened as well. So I look at, uh, and I think that there's probably other players, if we really want to look at it and break it down and, and look at those launch angle things, I think that there are other players that are, are struggling and really, other than Scott Kingry, there's nobody who's really performing better than they had previously. And he was just a, a rookie in Major League Baseball last year, so it's it's easy to kind of understand why he's improved. But everyone else I, has taken a step back. Even Harper, who's having a decent season, he's having he's having his lowest lowest production season in a, since his rookie year. And here's what's really scary: he's hitting 245 this year. Reese Hoskins is his expected batting average, according to Statcast, 222. Mm-hmm. Slugging, 494. Expected slugging percentage, 412. So he's actually outproducing what the metrics say he should be producing. He's, he's getting a little lucky. And that's a cause for concern. Infield fly ball rate has jumped up from like nearly 11% to 14% this year. Just a lot of lazy pop-ups. Weak contact and, and weak fly balls, and that's, that's not going to be productive for you. I, I wonder. I would just love to sit in on a, uh, a meeting of the visiting team when they're sitting there talking to their pitchers about how to approach the Phillies. I really would. I would really love to hear what they say. Because I have a feeling that they all that, that they all know. It's like a, like an inside joke. Like they all know, "Hey, this is how you got to pitch the Phillies and we'll be and we'll be in every game." Yeah. Because what was really how many times this year have the Phillies won a game going away? Like just kind of like, "Ah, they got this one early." And you know it's over. Yeah, you go back to March and April, and you thought they would overwhelm teams <laughs> on a nightly basis, yes. and it just has not played out not that every way. They've had grind. to, to borrow a term from Gabe, cratch, uh, scratch and claw and, and, and scrape and fight. And I mean, that's really been what they've had to do this year. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, we'll talk a little bit more about this after the break if you want to join in on the program. 888-728-9941. I hope I said that slow enough for our, our good friend Russ Joy who's probably listening uh, on, from the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network, uh, who told me last week that I said the number too fast. So, again, Russ, 888-728-9941 to join us here on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast live on 610 ESPN Radio. At any given moment, somewhere in America... 
A baby is taking a first step, a developmental milestone. But for too many parents, a baby's first steps aren't just a milestone, they're a miracle. These are the parents of babies who were born prematurely or with birth defects. It's a crisis affecting more than half a million babies in the United States each year. You can help them by joining volunteers like you who walk in March for Babies. The money you raise funds research and local programs that help babies overcome the challenges of premature birth and birth defects. Together, our steps make stronger, healthier babies a reality for thousands of families. Sign up today at marchforbabies.org to take the steps that help make milestones and even miracles possible. Who will you march for? They just told us right away that we're going to house you, we're going to feed you, and every single one of his medical bills is just all taken care of. They've saved my family from financial ruin. It allowed me and my wife both to focus on the most important thing, which was the health and well-being of our son. We have phenomenal research, outstanding clinical care, and the generosity of public, which allow us to treat patients regardless of what it takes. And that's what makes St. Jude so magical. At St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because the only thing a family should worry about is helping their child live. Doctors send us the toughest cases to be treated at St. Jude, and our patients come from all over the world. When we come here, they told me, don't worry, everything's been taken care of. We could never repay St. Jude for what they've given us. Because of you. Gracias a ti. Because, because of, of you. you. There is St. Jude. Welcome back. To Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo along with Bob Wankel bringing it home here in the final 20 minutes of the podcast. And Bob, I gave you a little bit of an assignment right before the break. A little bit of an assignment because we want to say, we want to see, we talked about Reese Hoskins' launch angle, how it's gotten more and more extreme with each year, each of the last, especially the last two years. Um, and, you know, with this, or, with this, organizational philosophy with this hitting coach, John Malley, with, with Gabe Kapler as the manager. And we talked about how extreme it's gotten. And I said, just off the top of my head, I had no idea. I did not even look it up. I said, Bob, let's look up Carlos Santana. What was his launch angle in 2018 as a member of the Phillies? 15.1. 15.1. Okay. That's less than Reese, but higher than the league average. All right. What's Carlos Santana's launch angle this season as a member of the Cleveland Indians? 10.8. Carlos Santana is hitting 50 points higher as a member of the Cleveland Indians. His on-base percentage is over 400. He was an all-star. He hit a uh, grand slam yesterday to beat the Twins. He's got 25 home runs. I think he had 24 last year for the entire year yep. for the Phillies. So he's going to be a 30-home run guy this year. He's going to drive in 100 runs. He's going to walk 100 times. It's one guy. And we're not saying they should have kept Carlos Santana. That's, that's ridiculous, right? It, it, he just didn't have a spot here with the Phillies. and made made sense for him to go. But – do you think maybe that he was a little when he at the end of the season last year when he was smashing televisions with his baseball bat and he, out of frustration that it might have been this team was just drove him crazy because of what they wanted him to do and now he was able to go back to being himself again? Well, what I want to know is what are the numbers on the flip side of this? Like we look at Carlos Santana, we're digging up individual players this season where we see that some of these principles are actively hurting them, causing them to decline. 
I'm sure the Phillies can give us numbers that, that support what they're doing. My question is, do they evaluate things at the end of this season, reassess and say, okay, we can be analytically driven, but we have to change our approach. We have to change course. The way that we're implementing this on-field level is not working. That's what's going to be interesting to see moving forward because I still think they may make a couple changes here and there in terms of coaching staff and personnel that way, but I don't think that there's going to be an organization-wide overhaul. So will they adapt, or are they just going to continue to do what they do? That's a good question. That's a good question. And I, I mean, I think that they have to – I think it would be – we use this term a lot, but I think it would be malpractice to not fix it, right? I mean, when you have two years of, of seeing that it doesn't work, to continue to, to, die, to die on that hill and say, oh, no, oh, no, they, they, we're going to keep doing this. It's going to work eventually. Trust us. We know what we're talking about. You can't do that. you you, you got to rectify it. Um, I know you have a couple other numbers. <laughs> You're sitting over there smiling. I just you have I more mean, that you want to throw out. out uh, there? No, not necessarily. I mean, okay. you just look at. It. I I am a firm believer in OPS. Those that that have listened to the show know that I'll always reference OPS. He was in the 760s last year. He's in the 920s this year. That's a drastic difference. Yep. And the way that he's making contact with the baseball is other than the jersey, the biggest difference. And I don't think that, that being back in the American League has, has made that drastic of an impact on him. I truly no. don't. The exit velocity is up by three miles an hour this season. He's hitting the ball harder on a more consistent basis. And, yeah, you know, you wonder when it comes to established players, you look at what JT Real Muto's done. You looked at the downtick in Harper's production. You have to Segura. wonder. Segura, you have to wonder at least a little I wonder bit. what the, what do you think launch angle is? I, again, here we go. You I'm have, not doing it. <laughs> you're not going to look up JT? Look up JT. Yeah. So I, I, bet you, I bet you he went down. I, I don't think Segura's is going to change much. He's just he's a, a different kind. He's a contact hitter more than anything else. I don't think there's much of a change there. But I, I, I'm pretty certain that you're probably going to see a difference in Real, Real Muto. Yeah, let's see. Pull him up here real quick. Uh, launch angle for him is actually uh, pretty much in line with what it's he pretty did much in line. It's okay. actually down a, a degree. Okay. All right. So, so his swing's not not changed much. I just wonder if it's I don't know what's I don't know what to make of Real Muto. He's kind of been fine. You yeah, know, he's been okay. He's been okay. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about where the Phillies sit now in the uh, the thick of this exhilarating wild card. They're chase. only two games out, only Bob. two games out, right? And and you listen to the show and you listen to the way that they've been talked about and written about uh, throughout the city, really over the last month, especially in the last week. And uh, you would think that they were seven, eight games out at this point and maybe six, seven games under 500. Let's talk a little bit about the other teams that they're in contention with. We're so, getting there, though, just so you know. It's fool's gold, right? That's what some people are calling this. And, and some of the numbers, Fangraph specifically, would, would say that this truly is fool's gold, despite the fact that they have plenty of time to turn it around, despite the fact that there are only two games out. Washington, according to Fangraph, 75.3% chance to make the postseason. The Mets... Out of nowhere, 47.4%. We're talking about less than a game separating these teams. The Phillies, 6.1%. So they're saying that the Mets are roughly 40, 41% more likely to reach the postseason than the Phillies right now. I agree. They have better <laughs> pitching. And that doesn't just go by narrative. That's not just because the, the Mets are hot. It's not because they made one singular trade for Marcus Stroman. This is about the Mets top to bottom grading out better on an analytical basis than the Phillies. So the very metrics that the Phillies try to build their team by are now essentially indicting what they currently are. <laughs> I mean, which is Well, so here's the other thing. We talked about this off air before the, before the show. At the deadline, the Braves went out. They recognized they had a need. It was bullpen, and they, they addressed it. 
The Nationals, they need their need was a bullpen. They went out and addressed it. The Mets surprised everybody, but went out and got Stroman and got him cheap. It didn't cost anything, but it really made their starting rotation very deep. Okay, and and, and that's what that that kind of you know, I think that jump started the, the team. It kind of woke them up from their doldrums. What did the Phillies do? They got Corey Dickerson, who I like. I like Corey Dickerson a lot, but was not a need per se. Was not a need. Need. I mean, who? It turned out that it was. It was required. It was, they needed him because Jay Bruce came back from injured list and played one game and went right back on the injured list again. Um, so in that in that vein, it was a need. But it was at the time that the trade was made. It wasn't particular need. And the needs were in the pitching staff, and they chose not to go after anybody. And the argument that they made was that well, they weren't going to give up their their good young players for these for any upgrades. When I look at what the Braves, the Nationals, and the Mets did, did they give up anybody? They didn't give up any of their major prospects. They didn't give up elite guys, no. No, to improve their team. So, I mean, it did, you did not have to give up elite guys. I think the, the Phillies' management of Matt Clintac and President Andy McPhail is risk-averse. And I think that, that is a, that's a problem. Sometimes you have to take a risk. They didn't take any risks last year at the deadline. They didn't take any risks this year at the deadline. They spent money in the offseason, and the one risk that they've taken, and, and I think and if you look at Clentac's tenure, the one risk that he took was they included Sixto Sanchez in the trade for Real Muto. Absolutely. That's the one risk that they took. It's I, just weird that they had this win-now philosophy in the offseason, heading into the season. It was and objectively now, excellent. Like you said, yes, objectively excellent. <laughs> and now they're completely risk-averse. Yeah. And and that's okay if, if the situation bears itself out that way. You don't want to compound mistakes. You don't want to just keep hammering away. It's like losing three bets in a row and then quadrupling your amount that you're going for in that fourth game to try to get even. I don't want them to keep you know running down a, a, a dead end here. But I think that they could have been a little bit more aggressive, realistically aggressive, not parted ways with elite prospects. Yeah. And, and maybe send a, more of a, a message of support to the clubhouse. I'm sorry, you're the New York Mets. Marcus Stroman walks through the door. You say, let's go. You know, and conversely, if you're the Phillies, no knock on Drew Smiley, Corey Dickerson, Jason Vargas, but you go. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, what is yeah. it? I mean, really, when you look at those guys, I mean, you know, Drew Smiley gave us a couple nice starts. Gabe Kapler called him Cliff Lee, and then he's been not so good since. Jason Vargas barely throws the ball 85 miles per hour, whatever. It's okay. He kind of keeps you in the game for four or five innings, whatever. Yeah, you know, that's okay. And players like that would have been fine if you went out and got a couple of bullpen pieces that, that made sense. But without adding, like, legit bullpen pieces, and I'm not counting Mike Morin and Blake Parker, okay, because they, they neither one of them are any good. You're not? No. If you went out and got legitimate bullpen pieces like the Braves and Nationals did, then you know what would have happened? Then those guys make sense, right? Or or if you want to add Mike Morin and Blake Parker, then make the starting pitcher that you go get a guy who can go six, seven innings. That's the, So I, I get going one and, and not the other, but not both. You can't do short-inning starters and – you know, ineffective relievers. You can't do that. That's not going to be a successful thing. Uh, we got a call. John. John from Harrisburg is joining us now here on Crossed Up 610 WIP. Hey, John. Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Doing good. John, what's up, man? Uh, I don't even know where to begin with this team. Um, you know, it just seems everybody in the organization is in lockstep with this hitting approach. 
almost everyone in the lineup has regressed. I feel like Reese Hoskins is the most alarming in the bunch. Maybe he, he improves under a new regime, but, I mean, right now it's just not looking good. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of what we had talked about on the last segment. I'm with you. Reese Hoskins specifically concerns me. Uh, we talked about how he's, he's sort of elevating the ball uh, more frequently this season. Uh, a lot of lazy pop-ups. You know, I love the plate discipline. I love the approach in terms of being able to work counts, get on base via the walk. I mean, to illustrate that point, Reese Hoskins has had a really difficult August. Uh, he's only hitting 125 this month, but his on-base percentage is still up over 300. That's a testament to the fact that he's been able to draw 11 walks this month in 11 games during a stretch in which he's not been able to hit at all. I think that that speaks to what his pedigree is as a hitter, but certainly the results and what we've seen lately since the All-Star break have been very concerning, and it, it's certainly a fair question to wonder whether or not there's been a, a direct correlation between John Melly's, uh, you know, teachings and what he's trying to instill in his hitters and what has happened to Reese Hoskins. He certainly has not been the hitter that we thought he was going to be when he came up here at the end of 2017. I mean, I think that, that we understand that at this point. And, and I don't know that he, he – maybe he still can be, but uh, we're starting to get a, a bigger sample here, and it's, it's definitely a concern. Right. And, you know, I, I, I actually mentioned this yesterday to Anthony on Twitter. Um, and perhaps it's, I was just, you know, speaking out of frustration. But it just you know, leads me to wonder if Reese Hoskins is, you know, just a guy, just an average player. You know, I, I hopefully he's more than that, but fair to wonder right now. I, I think it is fair to wonder, John, but I don't I, – I'm not ready to get to give up on Reese. I, I think that there's enough there still. He's had a, a, a disappointing season, and yet he's still got – his overall numbers are still pretty solid. If you have OPS high eights, that's that's pretty good. It's, it's, it's still pretty right. solid. I'd like to see more home runs. I'd like to see – you know, less streakiness from him. But when you have a good approach, which he has at the play, he's not up there flailing at pitches, looking looking like some other guys have looked at times. Um, I, I think that that at least gives me hope that under a different, uh, uh, you know, coach, a different different philosophy, that he would still be worthwhile uh, as, as a cog in the middle of the lineup. When you're talking about uh, a 26-year-old that has a 385 on base percentage in the middle of a, I guess maybe somewhat of an underwhelming season, there's still so much reason for optimism. I wouldn't check out on him yet. I, I wouldn't go as far to say that he's just a guy. He may not be that superstar impact player that we were hoping for. Right. That 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 is definitely fair. And as far as the front office goes, all, all, I, all I see and all I hear from from Matt Klintak and Andy McPhail is just arrogant, and I'm just not confident they're going to make the necessary changes and the, and the right changes to lead this team um, where they need to be in the future. I, I am totally out on those guys. So w would you do a complete house cleaning? You'd wipe out all three, president, GM, and coach, or manager? And yeah. I actually mentioned this to a friend of mine yesterday. I would actually be okay for a – you know, two or three year mini retool if it meant not having to watch this garbage ever again. <laughs> oh, awesome. uh, I don't think you're going to get a retool uh, after $330 million to Bryce Harper and an all in trade for JT Real Muto, but I, I hear you. This has been a tough right. brand of baseball to watch for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm probably asking for too much there, but <laughs> it's all good. We'll see what happens, guys. I appreciate the time. Hey, John, thanks yeah, for the thanks, call. Man. Appreciate you calling in.
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's the. I think that's you know, we've had a couple callers in the into the program today, and we've and we've heard the philosophy of them, and they're really, they're really not on board with this, and I think that they represent a majority of the of the uh, fan base that's out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting. I will say this. Attendance, man. We're going to see what happens here. If the wheels fall off as we go through the middle of August and into September, and I know that you have tickets and you're looking at the prices, the resale market prices, you know, the, the Cubs are going to draw well this week. Cole Hamill's back in town on, on Wednesday night against Aaron Nola, but if they don't get it together and, and people aren't showing up in August, September, that might change some minds up there. Yeah, uh, just real quick, I got tickets for that Cole Hamill's game. Uh, Hall of Fame Club for 40, easily 140 a ticket, right? Forty dollars a ticket. Forty dollars. They were selling tickets in right field for eight bucks. You know, I was uh, over by Penn earlier today, and they had a, a electronic billboard advertising the Nola Hamill Showdown. I said, "Oh my God, yeah, that should be a sellout." Should be. Well, thanks for uh, everybody for tuning in to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. Bob and I will be back next week at 5 p.m. I want to thank uh, Rob. Uh, for, for, for producing the show. Rob Fogarty did a nice job. Uh, and uh, we'll see you guys next week and maybe do a little bit of a uh, catch-up later in the week. What do you think? Bro? Yeah, we absolutely will do that. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next week.